Hello and welcome to Let Us Learn More, a podcast focused on produce industry education. As you know, we at the Packer put on a number of events each year and we wanted to preserve all the great information that comes from those educational sessions. This season of the podcast is focused on our Sustainable Produce Summit. So without further ado, enjoy the session. Uh, Welcome to the Industry Leaders Roundtable of the Sustainable Produce Summit and the session on the future of uh, sustainable agribusiness in the produce industry. My name is Sean Kamath. I'm Dean of the Business School at California State University, Monterey Bay. And uh, my uh, co-moderator is Kevin Murphy, former CEO of Driscoll's, the largest berry company in the world and executive in residence at California State Monterey Bay. We will alternate in asking questions of the three panelists. We have an outstanding panel today. The leadership of each one of our panelists for the regional, national, and international produce industry has been outstanding. Each one of them is a pioneer in uh, bringing sustainability to the produce industry. Their detailed bios are available in the summit program, so I will just highlight some of their achievements. Uh, We have Bruce Taylor, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Taylor Farms. Bruce grew up in the Salinas Valley in a Salinas Valley produce family, and leads one of the largest, or the largest, fresh uh, vegetables uh, company in the country, uh, which is the largest producer of salads, fresh cut vegetables, and healthy fresh foods. Uh, Taylor Farms has 16 operating companies located throughout North America serving leading customers in food service, retail produce, and retail deli segments. Uh, It is also my pleasure to introduce David Rosenberg, who co-founded and leads AeroFarms, a mission-driven company that builds and operates advanced vertical farms in urban environments. AeroFarms is a recognized leader as a circular economy 100 company listed on Fast Company's 2019 global list of most innovative companies. The honors that uh, AeroFarms has received, uh, you can read uh, from the detailed program, have been fantastic. Uh, David dedicates his time to several local and international organizations, is on the World Economic Forum, and leads a number of initiatives in sustainable food. Lastly, we have Rodney Braga, who is from three generations of the Braga family that has been a titan in the agricultural industry, farming in the Salinas Valley and Yuma, Arizona. Uh, The family company dates back to almost a hundred years and Bruce and and, um, uh, Rodney has pioneered a line of fresh cut sustainable uh, organic produce for the last 25 years. He has been a real reader in this area and his line of fresh vegetables commemorates his uh, grandmother who was one of the first to do this back when the farm was established. So without further ado, I'd like to go to 
the uh, questions that we have for our panelists. And I'd like to start by asking the three of you to frame this discussion with how you view sustainability in agribusiness and the produce industry. Uh, I provide two definitions used by the US government. And the first one is the US EPA, which defines sustainable agribusiness as meeting today's society's food and textile needs by integrating three main objectives, economic profitability, a healthy environment, and social and economic equity. The USDA then defines sustainability as seeking to increase profitable farm income, promote environmental stewardship, enhance the quality of life for farm families and communities, and increase production for human food and fiber needs. So how would each one of you define sustainability in agribusiness, particularly in the produce industry? Uh, let me start with you, Bruce. Uh, thanks, Sam. It's good to be here with everybody. Uh, for me, uh, sustainability means leaving the world better than you found it, uh, certainly no worse than you found it. Um, and we define our operations and design our operations to accomplish that. I have a friend of mine, uh, a grower, who he says the solution to pollution is dilution. And that's not a good, that's not a good answer. Um, we have to take into account our externalities. Um, all of us create them. And part of the challenge of sustainability is to figure out how to overcome those and absorb those and put those into our cost structure to mitigate the externalities. Fantastic. Uh, thank you. Uh, and how about you, David? Uh, you're in the sustainable part of the vertical farming business. How do you define sustainability? Well, first, I, I like the way Bruce characterized it. It's we, we want to set goals and measure ourselves against them and constantly progress. I, I'd also put things in three buckets. There's the process of farming, then there's the food, and then there's the societal side. So agree with what Bruce said is how do we leave our planet and the world better than what we came than when we started farming? So whether that's the soil that's the water, that's the air, all of these features. And, and how do we measure them and make progress? And here it's using renewable energy that influences the air and, and, and lots of things. I think that should be a target that we all strive for. And it's also totally agree with the externalities. So it's not just about pollution, but it's maybe, or direct pollution, but it could be the inputs to agriculture that also have a polluting factor embodied in them. It's also transport. It's, it's all these factors looking at the whole, the whole value chain. Uh, ultimately, we want, uh, we want to have standards that measure the right activities. We want to progress against those standards and we want those standards to rise. And as we do that, it gets innovators to push to, to create new, new things. On the food side, it's we want healthy food. So that's residue free often, meaning no pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or items that are, that are healthy for human consumption. Uh, it also has to do with the packaging, how that all comes together. But we want the healthiest food, I think in large extent that, that comes to residue free. And of course there are trade-offs because that could 
herd crops and making people aware of what those trade-offs are and what's in our food. And on the, on the societal side is how do our businesses and our, how do we impact the societies we're in as well as the, the societies we feed. And here it could be from wages to how do we have a fair wage for people to live or at least in, in, in the farming community, we know the farming community often is known historically for paying under minimum wage for illegal immigrants or things of that nature. And I would say wherever people are from, not to get political about illegal immigrants or legal immigrants, but let's pay people a fair wage and let's standard. I personally believe in some sort of uh, federal minimum wage that's kept. And we as farmers, as leaders in our businesses, that we adhere to that. And how else can we lift people's lives up, give people not only a good wage, but give people a path forward to improve their lives and the lives of their families? As often these are uneducated people in the farming industry, how do we improve them. A lot of what we're seeing in the, whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement or other societal movements, this is about upward mobility. So how as we in the business community could think about the upward mobility of the people in our workers and of the farming community. Thanks. And Arad, you've been a pioneer. What is your uh, definition? So for us, we've been farming for close to 100 years, as you mentioned. Um, we started farming organically about 25 years ago, but we realized that sustainability to us is really what we're doing because my grandfather and father, when they would talk to me about farming when I was a young man, um, I realized now that they never really used the word organic or sustainable. It was just how we farmed, right? So on the sustainable aspect for us in our farming, it goes back to the, to the soil, the ground of the earth. And our ground and our soil is in better condition today on our home ranch than when my grandparents, Sebastian and Josephine, started farming here in the late 1920s. And that wasn't by accident. That's by that farmer mentality of putting more back into the soil than you take out, right? So this is this leads into sustainability and organic. It's, it's on the farming side. It's about all the things that we like to do, like cover crops and crop rotation and and, and making sure that you till the soil proper, uh, properly. The other factor for us on that is our people, right? So we've had um, team members with us here for, we have one individual that this year's his 50th year working with us. Um, our team and our, without them, we're really nothing. We've got two things to keep us going. It's the soil and it's, and it's the people that help us farm that soil. And without that, we realize that we're really nothing. And when you, add that on besides our team members, it's really the communities that we farm in, right? So it's here in the Salinas Valley, it's, it's the cities that we're here from the Southern Salinas Valley to the Northern part of the Valley. It's the cities that we engage in, in, in Yuma Valley and Imperial Valley and our farming operations. And we believe that we need to not only take care of the, the, the soil and the earth, but we have to take care of the communities and the people that we're with. And you can look at that in several ways, but we realized that paying a, a, a wage that people can not only be a minimum wage, but a wage where they are attracted to come to you and come back and be a part of us, that that's important. And seeing that you can raise families in our communities healthily and come back and be a part of that. We've got second and third generation people that are working with us. Um, these are the things that we believe is sustainable and what we have to drive towards everything else. 
everything else that we we also talk about, of course, is is our water quality and in the Salinas Valley, and especially how much of it we have and where we put it. Um, uh, lessening our carbon footprint, We're, we have a, a goal to actually be uh, using all green energy um, by 2025, and that's coming up on us very quickly. So we know what our carbon footprint is. We know what the uh, uh, levels are that we that we use here with farming and tractors and all the big diesel that we have to burn, and how can we offset that? But for us, it comes down to our team and our people. And if they are not able to live and work in the Salinas Valley, the Imperial Valley, and have access to housing and and, and good health care, um, we know that, that we won't be around for another 90 years. And that's really the key to us. Thank you. Uh, so I, if I can summarize, it has to do with inputs, process, outputs, externalities, societal impact, all underlaid by the importance of people. Thank you uh, for that uh, comprehensive look at sustainability. Over to you, Kevin. Hi, Bruce. Uh, I've got a question you have for Bruce. Um, Bruce, you've been a leader in the produce industry for, you know, for a long time, well over 30 years, um, especially in the Salinas Valley. So can you can you talk a little bit about the progress you've seen around the sustainability over the last 30 years and then any potential barriers that you see out there that's preventing some of this progress that you've seen over the last 30 years? Well, Kevin, I appreciate you uh, you saying that I've only been involved for 30 years. It's uh, almost 40 years uh, next year, <clears throat> and it's been uh, an amazing, amazing experience. We've seen a, a fantastic transformation in the Salinas Valley towards sustainability, really on two fronts. One is that the conventional growers, uh, through integrated pest management systems and all the other systems are using to reduced nitrogen applications, things like that are moving towards a more sustainable model. Uh, more specifically, organic growers are really exploding in the Salinas Valley. If you look at some of the, the major players, in addition to Braga Farms and Rod, um, you've got TNA, you've got Nunes, you've got Diarigo uh, joining our Earthbound group as major shippers who are committing to the organic produce industry. Um, the two challenges I would say uh, from sustainability and from the growth in the organic industry, one is the market size. Um, organic does tend to be more expensive. Our yields are lower. Our cost of inputs are a little bit higher. So the shelf price is more expensive. That limits the market size a bit. That market's growing nicely, uh, by the way. And the second really impediment to growth in the Salinas Valley is built environment. Um, people have huge investments in their operations and their facilities and their equipment package. And as you move towards more sustainability, as you move towards uh, wind energy with wind turbines, solar energy with solar panels, um, it's, it's difficult to replace something you've already bought uh, with something new. Um, it's easier if you're growing. Uh, we have the benefit of uh, our companies growing. And so as we add capacity, as we add facilities, we can add uh, green energy, for example. Right. Uh, it, it, uh, it's a good thing, uh, Bruce, that uh, um, organic produce has grown faster in the pandemic than traditional produce. So it's, it's got a growth rate that has uh, actually been uh, almost double the growth rate for uh, traditional produce. Uh, to you, David, uh, you pioneered aeroponics uh, with a certified B Corp named as one of the world's most innovative companies. 
and you've taken indoor vertical farming to a new level of precision and uh, minimizing risk and uh, minimizing uh, uh, environmental impact. What do you see as the trends that are emerging in vertical farming and even greenhouse farming, uh, especially in aeroponics and hydroponics? And how will this change this, the, the produce industry? So, uh, several fold. One is, one trend is local food production. So people want fresh food and the nature of our business model is enabling local food production at scale. Uh, beyond that, people are asking questions about what's in their product. So whether it's pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, that's another element. A, th a third is there seems to be a, a trend in taste and flavor, texture, nutritional density. So all of these are opportunities for farmers, whether it's field farmers, greenhouse farmers, vertical farmers. How do we deliver as the customer has these different ass desires, how do we deliver? From a trend in technology, the, the vertical farming industry is still relatively new. And there's a lot of areas for improvement. And we, in the last year, we had, for example, over a 15% reduction in our cost of goods sold. Uh, we, we expect to have a big reduction in cost of goods sold next year. And, and part of that's just the nature of being a new industry. Those sort of cost reductions don't come out of mature industries. So we're still, again, at this young space and we're constantly investing in innovation. And it's both on the biological side, understanding biology better so we could be better farmers. It's also understanding the genetics and the different genetics that maybe a seed that doesn't grow well for different reasons in the field may grow fantastically well in a vertical farm. So again, we, we have to look at these problem sets with a new, new lens to it and then Finally, how do we deliver what a plant wants? And there are different ways to approach a problem, whether it's environmentally, mechanically, biologically, genetically, operationally, there are different ways to solve a problem. And depending where a problem solved, there could either be a greater capex or, or a smaller capex or smaller opex. So there are all these interactions that, that are really relevant. And, and the tech, whether it's automation sensors, machine learning, the tech really could have a lot of influence and is growing a lot. So there's going to be a continuing trend in, in investment. It's not necessarily an industry where all of a sudden the solutions are there and we're just on execution mode. We're on both continuing to reinvent the playbook as well as execute and scale. And, and I will say the problems of a small farm are very different from the problems at a big farm. So even when we think we have a solution, scaling it up and seeing those not foreseen challenges in scale is an opportunity as well as a risk. So being smart and de-risking certain elements of, of innovation as we go big. Fantastic. Thank you. Right. It's, uh, you know, you, you've been a uh, pioneer in the organic uh, area of the business and Bruce and others have mentioned it. Can you talk a little bit about some of the inputs and how you, from a sustainability standpoint, you know, got nutrients, water, there's all sorts of elements that you, you, you mentioned in your, in your introduction. But can you talk a little bit more specifically what, what you're really doing to drive some of the sustainability in that area? All right. So probably the, 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 the biggest one that we're seeing right now um, is, is, is in the area of both water and pest management. Um, on the water side, 
you know, we're following uh, years and years here in the Salinas Valley of going from when my father was out here growing a lettuce field, he was using an entire well pumping 2,000 gallons a minute, probably for almost three days to furrow irrigate a, a lettuce field. And then we moved to sprinkler irrigation. And now then it was drip irrigation that was put in sometime after the crop was in the field. Um, now we're moving uh, us and other farmers all through the valley, moving to burying this drip irrigation to the time that we plant it. Some areas we have to still use sprinkler irrigation to germinate it, um, but in some areas we're actually able to germinate it with the drip irrigation. This technology is allowing us to get the water where we want to have it at the right time, at the right depth, but also on the nutrient side, right? So on the fertilizer, especially the nitrogen, which we're having to, to look at and make sure that we're using only the right amount here in the Salinas Valley for runoff purposes and for, as Bruce mentioned, for when we do a lot of these sustainable things, you find out that you end up getting the benefits of saving money on the other end. Um, so with the drip irrigation, we're able to put the right amount of nitrogen of the plant. And then we're also using technologies where we're, we're testing the soil at uh, probably five or six times during the life of the crop to see what the nitrogen level needs are. Understanding things that we understood on the uh, conventional side of farming for a long time, but conventional farming is a little more forgiving. So if you were behind on nitrogen, you could there was uh, nitrogen levels that you could very quickly uh, get back up to speed. Organic's not quite so forgiving, right? So you're using items that don't have the end values. So what we're having to constantly monitor the field through production. Uh, something like a broccoli field might need 250 or 300 units of N to get it through. A little spring mix, uh, baby lettuces might need 60. But then also knowing how much of what other folks, and we used to call trash that goes back into the field. When you harvest a broccoli field, you're probably putting 75 or 80% of the plant back into the field. And when you harvest a baby lettuce field, you're taking probably 80 or 90% of it out of the field. That all goes into how much nitrogen you have. We also in the Salinas Valley, when you get water and nitrogen con continuously ties together, we run about 60 deep wells in our different ranches here in the Salinas Valley. And each one of those will have a different level of N um, of nitrogen and whether from a very low end to a very high end. And so we've got very smart young men and women that are now going around. We know where our levels of N are on the water. We know what, what we have in the field. And then we put on just what we need. And then at the end of it, what you find out is instead of spending uh, eight or nine hundred dollars an acre on nitrogen, you know, maybe you're down to six or seven hundred on organic crop. And that's where a huge amount of the cost is on that crop. And then other technologies we're looking at is um, drone technology, where at first we've been doing it for several years on the pesticide side. Um, since we're on organic farming and you don't have the chemicals and the ability to do that, we've been using drones to actually apply beneficial insects out into the field. And that's been helpful. And now recently we're looking at drones uh, technology that flies over the field several times over the life of the crop, telling us when we, we know in the beginning what our plant population is and then seeing where we're losing plant population going through the life cycle of the crop and then getting back to figuring out, well, exactly what caused that to have happen. Um, that gets our yields up, which allows us to then lower the cost of our goods. So those are just some of the things. Uh, thank you. That's uh, that's uh, terrific. Uh, let me now move the focus, uh, based on what you said, Rod, to a key area in the produce industry that of the agribusiness supply chain management and precision agri technology, which you 
referred to in the drone space. California State University Monterey Bay is well advanced in the process of establishing an agribusiness supply chain management program, the first of its kind in the country, given what the other universities do. Uh, and along with that, and Bruce has been a big supporter of this, a uh, mechatronics robotics engineering program, which is going to also have a large uh, application in agribusiness, along with a new precision technology soil and crop science program. So we are uh, in many ways expanding our footprint in uh, agribusiness in a major way and what this has been this has come as the advice of uh, industry so we sought industry advice and so we're trying to fund an endowed professorship in agribusiness supply chain management with great support i may add uh, from the agribusiness industry in the salinas and pajaro valleys so uh, i want you to focus on the issue of the agribusiness supply chain beyond production and on the needs and opportunities there, especially from a sustainable agribusiness skills point of view, because we are a producer of talent. So the question is, what are the skills that we can, that, that you need that can be developed by us training that talent? So I'd like to start with you, David, uh, since you're in probably the most tech part of the industry right now. Sure. So we get thousands of resumes a month just to work at Aero Farms, and I think it's because of how we're mission-driven, how we people know that we're focused on the environment as well as on the consumer, the customer, and the planet. And as uh, Peter Drucker, he, he said, management is doing things right, leadership is doing the right things. So here, people have confidence in management that we're doing the right things. And when, so as a leader, I'm not going around necessarily saying, this is how we're gonna innovate in filtration to keep water in closed loops. This is how we're gonna innovate with our nutrients or our lighting to use less spectrum and a lower energy footprint. Other people are doing that, but the point is we're bringing in people that are already very mission focused and wanna have a positive impact. And then we give them room to roam and room to see what problems they should attack. Here, from your from the program at your school, I would say that I mean, the core capabilities are understanding biology, or understanding farming and the business of farming. And it's the same tool set applies, or it's understanding for us, it's mechanical design, electrical design, th things of that nature. But then setting the right standards, and as leaders, setting the right goals. But in terms of the basic skill sets, if they have the basic fundamentals, they still need biology and all of these items, then they could have an impact. And, and leaders, we need to focus them on doing the right things. Thank you. Uh, Bruce, uh, from the point of view of the agricultural supply chain, uh, what kind of skills do you foresee that we would need to produce to manage that and deliver the product to the consumer? Uh, Sam, there's amazing, uh change in the skills required. Uh, we've really um, morphed, I guess, from the produce industry to the food industry. And that opens up a, a whole new range of skills that we need. Um, I, I, I always think back to when David and his team at Aero Farms in New Jersey gave my wife and I 
a tour of their first test site. Um, and it was their first indoor growing. Um, and I met, I think, four or five Cornell PhDs. And I thought to myself, we don't have any Cornell PhDs in our growing operations. We're growing 40,000 acres a year. Um, so it was really uh, eye-opening uh, in terms of the knowledge base we needed to add to, to the Salinas Valley. And that's where I see uh, CSUMB being able to help drive that. Secondly, um, we're moving more towards automation as the cost of labor goes up and the availability of labor goes down. Um, we're automating our planting processes, our harvest processes, our in-plant uh, salad making uh, systems. And that's gonna require more engineers, um, more computer programmers to train the robots, program the robots. I'm a whole level of sophistication uh, that we're looking forward to as we continue to grow precision agriculture and precision manufacturing uh, going forward. All right. And Rod, uh, uh, again, on the, uh, the, the supply chain side, what kinds of uh, capabilities do you think uh, you'd like to see the talent that comes have? So here, starting from the farm side of it, you know, we're now seeing, as Bruce mentioned, the need for uh, engineers uh, and even the uh, mechanics that have uh, capabilities that are, everyone has to be able to work on a computer. Everything is, is at that uh, level now. Um, we'll probably, um, by the end of this year, have over 300 of our uh, tractors that are, have GPS technology on them. Um, that's incredible. been increasing every year. It used to be just on the, on the bigger equipment so that you would say diesel. And now it's getting to the point where it's on almost every piece of equipment so that you're saving uh, time, which is so incredibly important, and, you're, and the precision of getting like, the nutrients exactly where you need them. Um, then you can find that you can use possibly only 50% as much because you're getting it right next to the root. But this means that the, the precision of it has to be set by GPS and computer because a, a, a person, no matter how good of a tractor driver they are, it's just impossible to do. So these are some of the areas that we're seeing that we need all this help with. And then we're seeing it also on the, you know, on the food safety aspect where we're out here uh, in the field because it's a little more difficult out in the environment to control these things than it is in our processing facilities where it's um, become sort of um, just part of your everyday business. But in the outside world, um, we're taking all the technological help that we can, that we can get. Um, we're seeing it in our, uh, uh, in our uh, trucking as well, as bringing the, the people that understand the software that not only from our trucking that we do deliver product from our processing and shipping facilities out to the world, but also from the field into our, our first uh, time when we take the heat out of the crop and our coolers. Um, we're figuring out ways that we can get these trucks there uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes faster by using the software that we have um, and monitoring the trucks so that we know what's going on and getting them there so they're not all lining up at the cooler. And what this ends up doing is keeping that freshness of the crop, which of course ends up with better yield and better quality and then we end up having uh, less arrival problems. Um, all of this builds towards having um, more units coming off the field with the, with the inputs that we're putting in to be uh, more sustainable. Thank you. Okay. So, so to, to wrap up the, the, the discussion in this, sec in this uh, session, I, uh, I'll start with you, Bruce. Can you give me some uh, 
a sense of one trend that you think is starting to emerge that will help drive the sustainability forward uh, for the industry as a whole? Is there is there a trend that you would like to put out there? Uh, Kevin, to me, the, the most significant trend is, are millennials. Um, millennials are the largest consumers of organic produce. Millennials are very concerned about how their food is grown, where it's grown, how you treat your workforce, um, how you get it to market. Um, they're very discerning consumers. Um, they're also uh, amazing uh, champions of sustainability. Um, we've got zero waste programs in many of our facilities. We've actually been certified uh, platinum in uh, three of our Salinas Valley facilities. And that's all been led by internal teams of young people who embrace the challenge. Um, it wasn't a top-down directive. We said we'd like to do this from the top. They said we'd love to do it uh, on, the, on the plant floor. And so the millennials just grabbed the opportunity and ran with it um, in a way that was fantastic and achieved, as I say, platinum status uh, within a year. Um, but they're going to be driving uh, sustainability. They're going to be driving how, how we operate and how we take care of uh, the resources that we're entrusted with, whether it's water, whether it's energy, whether it's labor, uh, how we use our land, rotate our land properly. They're going to be the driving force uh, that moves this industry forward. Great. Yeah. David, uh, from your perspective, have you got a, a major trend that you think will sort of really drive some of this work in the future? Well, I'll answer it two ways. It's one, the trend that I think will drive work, and then the tr also the trend that I hope will, will happen, So, and that I think will drive work faster. So that I think will drive it is data science. I think the data science, as we focus more on the data, will it'll unlock some of the unknowns about plant science and allow us to be better farmers and give the, the plants what they want in a, in a more accurate way. The uh, And how we collect data, so smart data, not just big data. And then um, the second part of what I think will actually unlock positive change for the planet faster is more public-private partnerships, increased standards of performance, uh, how do we grow plants and whatever those that those definitions of whether it's soil health, water health, air health, whatever those standards are, when we because as Bruce said earlier, when those externalities aren't factored in commerce, then good actors, bad actors, there's it's hard for commerce or the price at the market to factor all those things in. But when the actor externalities are priced in, then good actors are rewarded for being good actors. Innovators push innovation. And that doesn't happen organically. It happens with increases standards of performance. And this is where the public sector really could play a, a, a bigger role to push innovators and uh, create a level playing field for the good actors. You don't want a good actor to be at a competitive disadvantage for being a good actor, whether they're being good farmers or so forth. And, and Rod, do you have any thoughts uh, as we as we wrap up the session here around the trends? So I think one of the trends that, that we're seeing, in it, and it perhaps is driven, as, as Bruce was talking about with the millennials, is that we're seeing that it's not enough to be organic now. It's it's this is, this produce has to be every bit as look as good as the conventional has looked, and that's been a you know an issue on the organic for a while because we've got pests and bugs and things that are hard to control. But one part that we see as a trend coming is that 
the freshness of the organic. We need to be able to deliver it. Now it looks like five and six days a week to these retailers across the country. And so that has to be, um, that's where we need the young millennials then that are coming into our workforce to help us to figure out how to do all this, right? So I'm just sitting right across from our sales office over here and there's 20 or 30 of mostly young millennials that are making sure that when some of these retailers that we're delivering to, trying to get to six day uh, deliveries a week um, and get all that worked out, what's benefiting us, I think, is that organic is maturing now so that we have um, more and more commodities that we're growing organically and sending to all these retailers. So now we can, you know, the very technical things of filling out the trucks and making sure that we can um, send trucks across the country completely uh, loaded with organic produce um, is, is helping us. And I think the packaging side is something that we're seeing too. Millennials are looking that they want stuff in a package probably because the retailers are wanting to see that, but they're wanting the packaging to be sustainable and look like it's not wasteful. So dropping the perhaps the head size of the packaging, getting more units into a box, more boxes into a truck, that all plays into what you want to do, sustainability, and bringing profits back to the ranch that we can then share with our team members and everybody else and the communities at large. Um, and that takes smart young people, and thankfully uh, through universities like yourself, that's what we see coming into our workforce. Great. So, um, you know, on behalf of Charm and myself and the university, I'd like to thank the three of you for for joining us and, and providing this uh, healthy discussion around sustainability. Um, you know, one of the things that I, in sort of conclusion, one of the things that I kind of uh, gained from this conversation is this idea that sustainability isn't a separate focus. It's not something we do when we're not doing other things, that, that really it is central to to who we are as a business and how we go about our work, and that uh, the companies that uh, embrace this idea as part of business as usual, the ones that do well, the ones that try and sort of uh, work it into their schedule are the ones that will not be successful in the long term. So from behalf of both Sean and myself, I'd like to thank, thank you all for, for being on the discussion. Uh, and there will be some questions uh, later that we'll, we'll, we'll address in terms of uh, when we actually do the the, uh, the the live session I think in a week or so's time so thanks thanks everybody I appreciate it um, anything else Sean from your perspective that we no, thank to- you very much gentlemen uh, very enlightening and uh, very very uh, good uh, learning for all of us thank you thanks again for listening to this great content from our sustainable produce summit we hope to see you at our next event remember we've got West Coast Produce Expo the Global Organic Produce Expo, and the Sustainable Produce Summit, all as part of the roster. And of course, you can always read our reporting on thepacker.com and producemarketguide.com, along with our weekly newspapers and magazines every other month. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Let Us Learn More podcast.